Midtown Detroit studios of WDET. This is Detroit Today. We all know the stats. There are more guns in America than there are people. And that means too easy access to weapons for too many who shouldn't have them. A new buyback program in Oakland County will attempt to get some of those guns off the street. And we'll hear from organizers about their hopes. Then we'll talk with Sheree Thanadar, who is the state legislator, who's the Democratic nominee to be the next congressman from the city of Detroit. That's next on Detroit Today. But first, the news from NPR. WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. No matter what you think about guns, whether you are an enthusiast of Second Amendment rights or somebody who thinks maybe we shouldn't have as much freedom around firearms, I think everybody can agree that gun violence is an enormous problem in this country compared with other Western countries in particular. America has by far the most gun violence, homicides, suicides, gun accidents, things that do not happen in anywhere near the kind of frequency they do here in other countries. And there's a simple reason for that. There's just a lot of guns in this country. More guns, in fact, than there are people. And there is relatively little legislation that constrains gun access. National and state lawmakers have been slow to solve this problem, in part because we have a constitutional amendment that protects gun ownership. Recent gun safety law legislation signed by President Joe Biden expands background checks for some and enlarges an existing law that prevents abusive partners from owning guns. But on the day today, those steps likely won't do much to resolve gun violence in our schools, our churches, all over our streets. There's an idea, though, that has some currency, both domestically and abroad. It's a gun buyback program. The idea that if you offer people money for their weapons, a fair number of them might just turn guns in. This Saturday, parts of Oakland County are going to do a voluntary buyback program. In Southfield, Royal Oak, Auburn Hills, and Ferndale, people can turn their guns into the police and get money in return. The policy was spearheaded by a few Oakland County commissioners. We wanted to talk about this gun buyback program, and we've got two people here who are helping to make it happen. Reverend Chris Yaw is the rector of St. David's Episcopal Church in Southfield. His church will be one of the sites where people can give up their guns. Reverend Yaw, welcome to Detroit Today. Stephen, thank you so much for having me. Good morning. Also here with us is Southfield Police Chief Elvin Barron. Chief Barron, welcome to Detroit Today. 
Yes, sir. And again, thank you for the invitation as well. Yeah. So, Chief, I'm going to start with you. Where did the idea of gun buybacks come from? And also, I know that you have not always been so excited about these kinds of programs. So tell me uh, what what changed your mind eventually to come around to, to think that this is a good way to, to get some guns off the streets. Well, gun buyback programs have actually been a while for around for some time. And as you know, I did 21 years with the city of Detroit, and we did gun buyback programs there as well. As a individual who oversees a police department, my initial mindset was that gun buybacks would not be effective because they are criminals who would never turn in their weapon because that's their tool. But as I started to be more open-minded, I realized that gun buyback can be effective because we have an opportunity to get guns off the street and not in the wrong hands, such as, as we see nationally and locally, many children are getting hold of unsecured weapons by irresponsible gun owners, and then tragedies happen. And so at this point, I'm, I'm supportive of the program. I've watched what they've done in, this, in Houston, Texas, where they were able to get over 800 guns off the street. And then you got to ask yourself the question, out of that 800 guns, how many potentially could have fallen into the wrong hands to then harm to our children? Yeah. So uh, talk about how this works, uh, the, the practical end of maybe I'm a gun owner and I want to get rid of the firearm. How do I participate, Chief? Well, whether you're a gun owner or an example of maybe a loved one passes away and, and they were a gun owners. Right, and you end up and with it. Yeah. Not, right. You may not necessarily want to hold on to that weapon or know what to do with it. This is an opportunity to not only uh, turn that gun in for proper disposal, but also it's incentivized by a monetary uh, contribution. So you can come to one of the sites that we're doing the program in. We actually do leave the gun in the trunk of your car, and we will remove it from the trunk of the vehicle and provide you with a gift card uh, incentive. So a handgun, a $100 gift card, a shotgun or a long gun, $200 gift card, and any assault weapon, $300 gift cards. Wow. Uh, so, Reverend, y'all, I want to bring you in here. Tell me about your church and your church's involvement uh, in this program. How did that start? Well, Stephen, thank you. And it's, it is at St. David's Episcopal Church there in Southfield. Chief Barron and I have been friends for years. Um, and I think uh, one of the things we decided to do as a parish this year, Stephen, was to um, was to count the number of people in Oakland County who died by gun violence. And we would count them, and then we would make up kind of these tombstone markers and put them on the lawn so that we would have white ones for children, we would have gray ones for homicide, we would have black ones for suicides. And it's, it's October now, so we've had eight, nine months of doing this. If you go on our back lawn and take a look, you'll be overwhelmed by the number of black tombstones. In other words, this is, for me, this is what the gun buyback is about. If two-thirds to three-quarters of your population are using guns on themselves, then, then I, I, I am, of course, concerned about crime and, and gang members and people who you know, are committing uh, crimes with them. But it's, it, it is not a good thing to have in your house. If you're a male, you're eight times more likely to commit suicide than mm. if you're not a gun owner. Mm. If you're a female gun owner, you're 35 more times more likely to commit suicide with a gun than if you're not. 
And so access has been proven time and again that easy access to firearms um, is, uh, is is an issue. It's um, virtually every study that's investigated this question has found that ready access to a gun is a major factor for suicide. And so when you look at uh, the vast majority of those gun deaths happening in our county, in our area, self-inflicted, what can we do then to stop that ready access? I mean, I, I listened to your introduction, Stephen. Half of the guns in the world that are in civilian hands are in this country. Wow. We wonder why suicide is, is it 10th now, maybe 10th or 11th in terms of a cause of death here in this country? Number one cause of death with children, as Chief Barron was saying. So I think that any person of faith has compassion when they hear these. And so we set up this um, memorial in the backyard and, and people walk by and they're like, oh my gosh, what are all those black tombstones? Because we all know the statistics, but when you see it displayed like this, you say, oh my goodness. You know, and so as a Christian community, as Christians, that, you know, our model is somebody who has compassion and love for the world. We have to say, gosh, what can we do? And a gun buyback, as imperfect as it is in many ways, it does two things. It gets those guns. I don't even say off the streets because they're many times not on the streets. They're, they're, they're in a drawer somewhere or they're in a shoebox. It gets them out of a home. And secondly, it keeps the issue before, uh, in, the public, uh, in the public eye, that people are talking about it, that this is an issue, because you know, this is such a big issue. It's not going to be solved by one person or one movement. It's going to take a lot of people over a lot of time from all political leanings to come together and say, you know, we need to find a way to solve this. Yeah. Um, uh, Reverend Yaw, I, something you just said really, really struck me. You're talking about uh, marking the number of people in Oakland County who are killed each year through through gun violence. And and I, I think for a lot of people that might be surprising, right, that there is a mm-hmm. fair an, a, amount of gun violence, whether it's suicide or homicide in Oakland County. People mm-hmm. think of Oakland County as, you know, the suburbs. It's it's different mm-hmm. from Detroit. It, it, it absolutely is. There's no question that there's not a fair comparison between the violence we live with here and what you experience there. But it's important to note that even when we're talking about suicides, gun violence is a, a serious issue uh, in, in places like Oakland County. Yeah, yeah. Well, when you look at the the biggest incident that put this issue on the map for us in the last year, it was in Oxford, right? right? Yep. Some place that you would never think this would happen. Um, but yeah, you, you're exactly right, uh, Chief. Um, what is this uh, going to look like on Saturday? What 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 is your goal in terms of, I guess, number of guns or your best guess uh, as to how many people will show up and and turn in guns? Well, we're hoping that we get a a significant turnout. Um, It's important to continue to alert the community, and that's why I'm so honored to be on your show, another mechanism for spreading the word. Because it doesn't matter what county you live in, come to the gun buyback with the weapon, we will take it. Whether you're Wayne County, Oakland County, it does not matter. Show up, bring the weapon, receive the incentivized gift cards, and we will be very appreciative of that because, again, our children are dying locally and nationally because of unsecured weapons, and our children find them. You try to hide a gun under a mattress, in a drawer, under a pillow. That does not work. The children locate these guns for whatever reason, and then they play with them, and then tragedy happens. So please, encourage, spread the word, gun buyback for locations. 
St. David's Episcopal Church, Royal Oak Police Department, Auburn Hills Police Department, and Ferndale's City Hall's parking lot is where the sites are. Yeah, yeah. Okay, uh, let's get going on the phones here. Uh, we're talking with Chief Barron of the Southfield Police Department and also with Reverend Chris Yaw who's rector of St. David's Episcopal Church in Southfield, about the gun buyback program October 22nd uh, in Oakland County. Uh, give us a sense of what you think of these kinds of programs. Uh, what do you think are solutions to the gun violence that we all live with in this state and in this country? Uh, are you somebody who has a gun that you would rather not have in your household and maybe thinking about going to participate in the gun buyback. As always, the number here on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we can work you into the conversation uh, that way. Uh, Reverend Yaw, I wonder if you can talk about in your congregation um, the, the, the way this issue resonates and, and if there are specific examples, perhaps, of people families uh, struggling with uh, losses from from gun violence. You know, Stephen, I think that's the wonderful thing about our congregation is that um, we're like a lot of congregations, gatherings of of Christians for whom this has not been a huge deal. Uh, We have not had a massive shooting in our church. We've not had people, you know, as Chief Barron was describing, involved in a terrible accident with children. We simply have had that conviction that, you know what, how much is going to be too much before we can, you know, be, we can start getting a handle on this? Um, you know, it, over the last 10 years, we have seen an increase in gun deaths of about, I think it's 10 or 11, 10, 10 or 11 percent. I mean, this is an increasing problem. Um, during, you, you, you've talked about uh, in previous shows, uh, the number of people buying guns has increased over the last administration. Mm-hmm. Um, people have just been, you know, the gun companies are making a lot of money. Why? Because people are scared. And so I think my congregation, uh, really in trying to, to model the compassion of Jesus, saying, you know what, me, you know, we're really not one way or the other in terms of, of, of for or against, you know, your Second Amendment's rights. We're just a normal gathering of Christians who, you know, we have a food pantry and we, uh, you know, we collect coats in the winter and that kind of thing. But this problem is so overarching that we didn't have an incident or a specific death in the congregation. We just said, you know what, this is, this is really a, a, a public health issue. And I will also say that our bishop, uh, Bishop Bonnie Perry, has raised this as one of, the, one of her big issues to deal with during her episcopate. She's just started two years ago and has challenged congregations to, uh, to take this mantle on. So really with our leadership from our bishop and uh, I think just an overwhelming disgust with the fact that nothing's being done over such an egregious problem yeah. has led to this. Yeah, uh, Chief, we've got a question on Twitter. Emily asks, uh, if you can address whether illegally owned guns can be bought back, if so, uh, can individuals take advantage of the buyback without fear of arrest? We all know that that the biggest problem we have is guns that are illegally owned. I think the second biggest problem actually is the nexus between legal ownership and illegal ownership. In other words, that guns start out being legally owned and then end up being illegally owned. But 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 address that that question about what if I have an illegal gun? Can I can I go turn it in on on Saturday? And the answer to that is yes, we're receiving all weapons. And let me 
add this other component. So Southfield Police Department, we're partnering with Lathrop Village on our project. And that's why we got a hold of Father Y'all. The doors are open. We got a soft site, if you will, for individuals who may not necessarily want to go to a police department, but come to the church and turn in their weapon. And so, yes, bring those weapons in, uh, whether legal or illegal, and we will uh, properly dispose of that weapon. Uh, again, 313-577-1019 is the number here on the phones. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we can work you into the conversation uh, that way. Okay, uh, Chief Barron and Reverend Yaw, it was really great to have both of you here. Uh, talk really quickly again about the details. Uh, October 22nd, uh, come out and, and sell your guns. Is that right, Chief? Yes, sir. Again, Saturday, October 22nd, 10 a.m., 2 p.m., four locations, St. David's Episcopal Church in Southfield, Royal Oak Police Department, Auburn Hills Police Department, and the city of Ferndale City Hall parking lot. Bring the weapons. We're not running people's names. We're going to ask for an ID, provide your weapon, leave it in the trunk, We'll remove it from the trunk and safely dispose of it. Yeah, yeah. Okay, well, thanks for being here on Detroit Today, and congratulations on, uh, on the great idea. Uh, thanks for being here. Thank you. Thank you. All right, we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we are going to move away from guns, talk about politics, something we're talking about seems like every day right now in the run-up to the November 8th elections. Uh, next, we are going to have a conversation with 13th Congressional District Democratic candidate Sri Hanadar. Stay with us for more Detroit Today. Bringing you news that matters. Stories that impact your life. Music from the Motor City and around the world. This is 1019 WDET. Detroit's NPR station. You're listening to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, your host, and as always, thanks for tuning in. 13th Congressional District race has gathered a lot of attention, both from those within and those outside of the district. That's mostly because it looks like the city of Detroit, which lies in the 13th, is really the heart of the 13th Congressional District, will not have an African-American representing it in Congress for the first time in about 70 years. State House Representative and Democratic candidate Sri Thanadar is poised to win the 13th Congressional District seat. He has mostly talked about raising wages, getting money out of politics, and improving access to the ballot. And he's pretty popular in the district where he has run in Detroit. Last week, we spoke with 13th Congressional District Republican nominee Martel Bivings about why he's running in this district. Now, we want to talk with Democratic candidate Thandar about why he's running, how he hopes to improve the district, and what he believes are the most pressing issues in the 13th. Uh, Sri Thanadar, welcome back to Detroit Today. 
Stephen. Thanks for having me. Yes. Um, so let's start with uh, with your story. You have a rather remarkable uh, personal story about coming to this country and becoming successful. Uh, give our listeners uh, a taste of who you are. Well, you know, I grew up in India, southern India. Uh, my father lost his job, uh, six sisters, a brother, the family fell into financial hardship. And I worked as a janitor uh, to supplement uh, uh, my family's income. And I came to the United States when I was 24 years old. That was back in 1979. And I would get about $300 I would teach undergraduates chemistry while I was working on my PhD thesis degree um, at the University of Akron. And I would send $75 home every month so my mother could put food on the table. Mm. So talk about uh, the, your journey to politics. Uh, some listeners may remember that you ran for governor a few years ago. Uh, after that bid was unsuccessful, you you took a turn and decided to run um, uh, for the state house. Uh, uh, talk about that turn. Well, you know, having run small businesses for twenty five years, I felt uh, you know I achieved my American dream, but I. When I travel around the state, I saw the American dream is not accessible to many, especially people in the black and brown communities. And I felt that my family is doing well. I achieved my American dream. I need to go out and help others. And with that thought, I ran for uh, governor of Michigan. I did not win that election. However, I won the city of Detroit. And at that point, I said, I'm not going back to running businesses. I'm going to stay in public service. And if I'm going to do that, I'm going to find a, sp a position, a spot that may not be glamorous, but will allow me to do public service. And immediately, the state representative spot uh, came to mind. And because Detroit has been... Uh, so appreciative. I've got so much appreciation, so much love, so much friendship in the city of Detroit. I felt that's where I want to run uh, for state representative. And that's what I did in 2020 and won that seat. Mm -hmm. And and as you say, you moved into the city to run for that seat. A lot of people would say that's a cynical move, that it's in, you know, it's carpetbagging or uh, there, there are other words that, that, that people move. Uh, talk me through how you made that decision and were able to, to, to overcome the sense, I guess, that, uh, that you were uh, interloping, I guess, in, in Detroit politics by, by moving into the city to run for that seat. Well, you know, when I ran for governor, I did not live in the city of Detroit. And yet, uh, every time I visited Detroit, every time I met with the residents, uh, I got a lot of love. I got a lot of uh, interest. 
people came up to me. We uh, People liked my story, my story of, uh, you know, never giving up, my story of uh, struggling through um, economic issues, uh, my story about entrepreneurship, uh, you know, starting small businesses, creating wealth, uh, overcoming poverty, overcoming challenges. Um, my story resonated well. You know, at one time when I couldn't afford an apartment, I had a car that I'd bought for $200. And I slept in that car in the summer months. Uh, and, you know, a lot of people appreciated that. And look, I'm in the United States for the last 43 years. I've been living in the United States for 43 years. Nowhere, and I've traveled all across America, nowhere did I get as much love um, as I got in the city of Detroit. And I just felt like Detroit is like a second home to me. And finally, in America, I found a place I can call home, and that's Detroit, Michigan. All right, so uh, let's talk about your run for the 13th Congressional the district, as you point out, you were elected to the state house in 2020. Uh, now you'd like to go to Congress. Uh, give me, walk me through your thinking there uh, about tossing your head in that ring. Well, you know there are issues that I can better address at the national level. Uh, issues like uh, healthcare. Now, COVID exposed the healthcare disparities. Uh, in urban areas. You know, we suffered in Detroit, we suffered uh, through COVID more so than many other parts of our country. And what became loud and clear is the discrepancy in healthcare. We, We are the only developed nation that doesn't of provide health care coverage to all of its residents, all of its citizens. And we can only do that through a universal, single-payer health care system where we can negotiate better pharmaceutical prices, where we can negotiate better with a single-payer and every person is covered for his or her his health care. Health care should be disconnected from the employment. So regardless of a person's employment status, that person must get health care because no one in America should be worried that they're going to go bankrupt if they have a major health crisis. And when you're talking about uh, the healthcare reform, of course, we we had a pretty big reform at the beginning of the Obama administration. You would take that further, is what I'm hearing you say. Would you would you embrace uh, a system that's similar to what they have in in other Western countries, in Europe, for instance, uh, where there is some form of of single payer? Absolutely. We know a Medicare for all or a single-payer health care system, a universal health care. Uh, in different manner, we can accomplish that. And in the long run, Stephen, in the long run, that would be a more cost-effective uh, solution to health care. It would save money because we will eliminate 
the middleman, so to speak, will eliminate the insurance companies, will eliminate the profit taking by the insurance companies. Uh, we will eliminate a lot of the administrative cost. Currently, we spend 20% of the dollars for administrative purpose. And we'll save a lot of that administrative cost if we have a single-payer health care system. Yeah. Yeah, I'm talking with uh, Sri Thanadar. He is the Democratic nominee for the 13th Congressional District, which includes uh, Detroit and parts of Western Wayne and the Gross Points. Uh, we're talking about his candidacy. We're talking about his career uh, and uh, his career in politics. Uh, also talking about uh, the issues in, of course, that race and in Washington. Uh, we would love to hear from you during the conversation as well. Call and let us know if you have questions about uh, this race in the 13th Congressional District. Do you live in the 13th? What issues are most pressing to you? What are you most concerned about? And do you have specific questions for State Representative Sri Thanadar? As always, the number here on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we can work you into the conversation. Uh, I always say that what I like to see from somebody who's in one office and seeking another is what from their record in that first office recommends them for the second office, especially when it's a, a, an office with uh, a broader slate and and more power and more possibility. Here, you're proposing to jump from the state house to Congress. Uh, you've had two years in the state house. Tell me what from your record says you should be. Uh, the legislator in Washington for Detroit and Gross Point and Downriver? Uh, good question. Uh, now, <clears throat> we passed uh, two of the biggest budgets. Now, because I'm a business person, uh, I chose to serve on the appropriations committees. So I was uh, on committee that dealt with the budget allocation of funds. And I'm very proud to have worked with this Democratic governor in passing two of the largest uh, budgets uh, to the tune of uh, $75 billion and $77 billion. Last two years that I have served so, but uh, biggest budgets. I don't want to interrupt you, but, but can you point to things in those budgets Specific things that uh, that you added, or that you suggested, or that uh, you would say you could you could claim credit for. Absolutely, you know, I worked uh, on health and human services budgets, and one of the areas that I uh, focused on was uh, psychiatric care. Uh, now, uh, Stephen, I feel that the next pandemic we are going to deal with is mental health pandemic. And uh, back in uh, Governor Engler's time, a lot of mental health services were cut. And those were never restored. Uh, I've talked with grandmas, I've talked with parents who, whose kids, whose grandchildren needing uh, psychiatric help. And when they go to, uh, uh, to look for a bed, there is no psychiatric bed available. Many times these children are 
waiting in the emergency room for days. Some are waiting for weeks to have a bed freed up. And we put um, $650 million to uh, build new uh, psychiatric hospitals to create more uh, beds available. We put $250 million so that more uh, counselors, psychiatric, psychological counselors, would be hired to the tune of 600 new counselors. Because currently, the ratio between a psychological counselor and student Mm -hmm. is somewhere around 750 in the state of Michigan. That ratio needs to be about 250. Mm -hmm. So we need a lot more counselors because to stop that uh, school-to-prison pipeline, to address mental health issues, we need to help the 10-year-olds, the 15-year-olds, early stage, that's where mental health and mental illness manifests itself. Uh, I also served on the education budget, and we have two of the biggest education budgets, including for the first time we were able to do per-pupil equity across Michigan. Uh, We brought in about $1.2 billion of federal and state funding. Uh, So when I was campaigning for this office, the state rep, I had walked through many schools in the Detroit area, and I've seen water on the gym floor. I've seen roofs leaking. I've seen HVACs not working. Now we have $500 million. Mm. For the first time in uh, decades, we have money now where we can rebuild schools. We'll, we will be building five schools ground up in the Detroit area, including uh, Pershing High School in right. my own district. That's from the federal money, from the ARPA funds, right? That's from the federal money and some of the state money. So, uh, the, uh, and we were worked with the Republican counterparts to make sure we, we demanded, we insisted that the money be released uh, so that uh, Detroit Public School would have the funds to work on the facilities which they had not worked on, were not able to work on for many, uh, many years now. So there's a lot that got done uh, in terms of teacher salaries, in terms of incentives for right. teachers. So, um, so again, what, what about that, for, in your mind, says, hey, uh, it, after two years, uh, two cycles, um, in, in you know, two budget cycles, I'm ready to handle a much bigger slate in Washington. Absolutely. I want to go up there. Uh, I can bring more do- federal dollars to the my district, and my district is city of Detroit. Uh, a bulk of it is, but uh, don't forget, I also have downriver. downriver, sure. Yeah, uh, Taylor and uh, Ramillus. I, I go all the way to the airport. Uh, and uh, uh, so we need to bring in manufacturing jobs. We need to bring in uh, skilled uh, skilled training. We need to create good-paying jobs, and we can only do that if we give uh, the citizens the skills they need for tomorrow's jobs. And we need more federal dollars coming in. We need to make education, higher education, trade trade school education more accessible, more affordable. Uh, that's the long-term solution in terms of uh, closing the wealth gap mm-hmm. uh, that we have. And uh, we can only close the wealth gap through, um, you know, uh, skills training, through 
making home ownership more affordable. Um, and I have plans to have uh, better access to home loans so we could have more first-time homeowners. Um, I have plans for uh, making entrepreneurship uh, business ownership more accessible, especially in the black and brown communities who have been deprived uh, due to uh, the systemic uh, racism for decades. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we need to address those issues um, at the federal level. You know, we need to work on voting rights. Uh, we need to work on the PRO Act uh, to ensure that uh, workers uh, uh, everywhere are able to uh, do collective bargaining and be able to organize. Uh, there is a lot that needs to be done at the national level, and I'm ready. I'm ready to do that. Okay. Uh, we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to continue talking with Sri Thanadar. He is uh, the Democrat who is running to represent Detroit and Gross Point and Downriver in Washington in the new 13th Congressional District. Want to get going on the phones and on Twitter as well. 313-577-1019 is the number here. Call and tell us what questions you have for Sri Thanadar. Call and tell us if you live in the 13th and what you make of the race uh, to, to be the next congressman from the city of Detroit and those other areas. Uh, you can also go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit today, and we can work into the conversation that way. When we come back, we're going to talk a little more about race and the role it played in the primary here and uh, how Sri Thanadar will connect with the, the majority black population that makes up the 13th Congressional District. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. Our guest right now is Sri Thanadar. He is the nominee, the Democratic nominee for the 13th Congressional District. Uh, voters in Detroit and Gross Point and Downriver uh, will uh, select him or Martel Bivings, who is the Republican candidate in that district on November 8th. Uh, we're talking about his candidacy for this seat. We're talking about the 13th Congressional District and, of course, the issues that he would face if he's elected and goes to Washington. Want to hear from you as well. Uh, give us a call and let us know if you have questions for Sri Thanadar as he uh, prepares to, uh, for Election Day and is uh, campaigning hard uh, in in all of the places that he would represent. Uh, give us a sense, if you live in the 13th District, of what's important to you, what issues really matter uh, when you think about who should represent uh, Detroit and uh, some of its suburbs in Washington. 313-577-1019 is the number. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and uh, we'll work into the conversation. Let's start with Adelia in Detroit. Adelia, welcome to the show. Yes, good morning, Stephen, and good morning, uh, Congressman-elect. Tanadar. Um, Not quite yet, yeah. but okay. <laughs> well, we're close. Go ahead. <laughs> I mean, uh, well, okay, I made that error there. Sorry. <laughs> okay. um, so I just wanted to ask uh, Sri about the concept of uh, reparations now. It's hashtag reparations now. I'm an advocate, volunteer advocate since 16 um, for this particular bill that needs to be passed by our president through an executive order. 
And so I just wanted to hear him as an Eastern Indian who has now been in America for a while and have went into the bio uh, society industry and made quite a, a big splash economically for his own company. And now he's decided to turn towards the uh, community of Detroit mm-hmm. as a supporter and how he feels because there are a lot of professional African-Americans who are suffering greatly through trying to build and grow private corporations. Yep. And so there's a serious economic uh, inequality issue of concern, and that's the target group that I tend to represent sure. uh, specifically as a design professional in the city of Detroit. Uh, and it's a very difficult field of endeavor because it's very homogeneous, if you understand. Sure, sure. Um, uh, so uh, I'd like to have him go ahead and address. Yeah, that, Adelia, and I am a 13th district person. I was going to so say, I, yeah, I, I, I was going to say, I'm pretty sure you live in the 13th, so I'm, I'm glad you called. Uh, you you would be one of his constituents. So, Shri, I want you to answer Adelia's question, but but I also want you to to to, to go further and and to talk. Uh, really honestly with me about the idea that you would be representing uh, a city that is some 80% African American. You would be the first non-African American to 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 be representing that uh, population in Washington in quite a while, and you'd break a streak uh, of almost 70 years uh, of us having at least one African American from Detroit. Uh, representing us in in Washington, race has uh, an enormous amount to do, I think, with uh, the politics of this race in the primary, and of course with uh, how you will represent uh, Detroit and Gross Point and Downriver when you get to Washington. All good questions. Thank you. Uh, thank you for asking this question. This is important. Look, uh, other communities, uh, the uh, American Indians got their reparation. Uh, the Japanese Americans got their reparations. Uh, African Americans never got their reparations. Now, um, Representative Cynthia A. Johnson and uh, introduced uh, a bill, uh, two bills, and I co-sponsored those bills on reparations in the Michigan uh, State House. Um, the the bills, uh, reparations bills that uh, we co-sponsored, um, call for uh, creating a racial equity and reparations uh, fund to the tune of $1.2 billion. And this fund would help uh, uh, African-Americans to start new businesses, create uh, seed capital. Now, uh, John Conyers, the previous uh, <clears throat> uh, congressman, uh, introduced H.R. 40 mm-hmm. uh, reparations bill in every Congress. Yes. And I would be working with uh, the Congressional Black Caucus uh, as, uh, people, uh, Congresswoman uh, Sheila Jackson, in introducing this reparation bill. And, uh, you know, we need to get something done here. And that's what my focus would be. Uh, the decades of racism uh, has robbed uh, uh, African-Americans of uh, opportunities, economic opportunities. We have seen uh, the destroying of black bottoms. We have seen the Tulsa massacre. There are multiple uh, situations like that have created, uh, you know, billions of dollars of uh, net worth for black Americans. Uh, We need to address um, the inequalities. And I will be fighting because I do represent a um, 
African-American, uh, you know, 45% of my district is African-Americans, and as their next congressman, if I'm so um, honored to get elected, uh, I will, it is my duty to serve this community uh, in the nation's capital, and I will be working with Congressional Black Caucus to m- make that happen. Will you try to? Will you try to be a member of the Congressional Black Caucus? Uh, I cannot be by their rules, right. and I respect their rules. Mm-hmm. But uh, that doesn't stop me from, uh, you know. So I already um, met with uh, um, uh, Jim Clyburn, for example. Mm-hmm. I met with a lot of the members. Uh, and uh, I will continue to build a good relationship with the Congressional Black Caucus, mm-hmm. um, work with them closely. Uh, I will be the member of the Congressional um, uh, uh, Progressive Caucus, mm-hmm. but I will work with the Congressional Black Caucus very, very closely. Um, and So, uh, so, so here's, uh, here's another way to ask this question. You can't be a member of the CBC, which is a really good point. Several of the other people who ran in the primary were African-Americans from the city of Detroit uh, who would have been members of the Congressional Black Caucus if they had been elected. Uh, Can you walk me through the thinking on your part that says that you are a better person to represent African-Americans than African-Americans are? Well, I'm not going to say that. Um, Look, uh, I do uh, understand the sentiment behind this question, mm-hmm. and I do understand that proper representation is essential. And not, it's not really about this particular seat. We need to have proper representation for women, for example, uh, in uh, boardrooms. We need to have proper representation for African-Americans in corporate boardrooms. Mm-hmm. Among how many CEOs do we have? Uh, in uh, United States Congress, in state houses, uh, in every possible uh, critical position, we need uh, fair representation. So uh, it's not about this one seat. Well, but this uh, seat is part of that conversation, isn't absolutely. it? This is a, absolutely. This is a city that's been represented by at least one African-American in Congress for a really long time. And, uh, absolutely. And but your, candidacy, your candidacy is what interrupts that. And I'm not blaming you, obviously, for that. Uh, but but I'm saying, I, I'm trying to get you to explain how you think that through as somebody who wants to represent African-Americans who overwhelmingly voted for an African-American uh, to, to, to have this seat. There were just a lot of them in the race, and so it split the vote. Well, look, um, it is ultimately people's decisions. It's not my decision it's not your decision as a media. I guess it's I'm trying to get person. to your decision to run. True. You know, I put my name in the hat, um, and uh, it is up to the people to decide who they want to. And in the gubernatorial primary, I won the city of Detroit. Uh, when I ran for my state rep race, um, I, uh, in a 90% African-American uh, district, I won that seat. And I'm grateful. Uh, you know, Detroit, with 78% African-American population, chose to elect, elect Mike Duggan, who is a white um, politician. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it is really up to the people uh, who they want to be represented. I look at this as a job. My job is 
to represent the people who elected me. Uh, to go to the White House, go to uh, the halls of Congress, and fight for my community. That, so basically they're hiring the best person the voters believe uh, could represent them. And that's what my job is. My job is to go uh, bring federal dollars to the district. My job is to fight for reparations. My job is to bring uh, skilled, uh, skills training. Uh, my job is to make uh, home ownership more affordable. Uh, so those are the issues that I will, and it is the people's choice. People mm-hmm. choose, they own the seat, they decide who they want to be represented. But, and but, I'm but, just glad that they Shree, chose me. Yeah, I, I totally respect that. But Tree, did you ever look at the field, look at the seat, and say, the, the best decision would be for me not to run so that African Americans have a chance to elect an African American? No, I think I do believe that uh, people should be given a choice. And, uh, uh, and that's why Mike uh, Duggan ran to be the mayor mm-hmm. of a 78% black city. Mm-hmm. And that's why Rashida Tlaib ran uh, for this role. Uh, In the so other congressional seats, It is right. not about who runs for it. It's about the decisions people make at the ballot box. And, what, and do, you, do you feel like the money that you were able to spend, which was really out, uh, out, outsized compared to everyone else, had something to do with that? That's not true, uh, because one of my opponents, uh, there was outside spending came in uh, to the tune of... Yeah, a lot of, he got a lot of uh, outside support. Yeah, but, he got about $6.5 million dollars, mm-hmm. uh, that came in. Uh, from the very billionaires, the, race, the yeah. crypto billionaires, and some of the Home Depot billionaires, all of that money, Republican money, most of it, came into this race to the tune of $6.5 million. Mm-hmm. And then th- my opponent raised another million dollars of his own. So, so he had $7.5 million, a mm-hmm. lot more money than I spent. Yeah. Okay, uh, I, I want to take a, a, a quick call. We're going to run out of time here. Robert in Detroit, uh, go ahead. Robert, Hi, I've uh, got about you, 30 seconds left. Go ahead. Sure. Thanks, Stephen. I just want to say that, you know, a point you made, Shree kind of split the vote. I think we all know Detroit voter turnout is really low. That was a major contributor to his success in this campaign. And generally, I just think that, you know, voter turnout is low because Democrats are making a lot of empty promises, exactly like what Shree is saying today. So mm-hmm. thank you for the time. Yeah. I'll take the comments out there. Yeah. Uh, Shree, we've got about uh, 25 seconds left, but go ahead. Uh, look, um, it is ultimately up to the people. And uh, uh, the voter turnout uh, is low, uh, uh, you know, because uh, we have seen people living in generations of poverty. Mm-hmm. We have seen uh, some affluence in the downtown area, but many of the neighborhoods, uh, not much has changed. Mm-hmm. And we need to ensure that uh, the prosperity that is, we see in downtown uh, is uh, spreads across the neighborhoods. We need to have more people move into the city. Currently, we lost, last 10 years, we lost about 100,000 people. Yes. Uh, Shri, I I really appreciate you coming on to talk about this and uh, and, uh, wish you luck in the rest of 
of, of the campaign. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you for Twitter having today. me. Yep. Uh, okay, that's going to do it for us today. Come back tomorrow when we're going to talk with Capitol Hill correspondent for NBC News, Ali Vitali, about her new book about why America has not yet had a woman elected president. This is 1019 WDETFM, Detroit's NPR station, your connection to news, music, and conversation. We'll talk again tomorrow.